the Wait Park Church. Thanks for joining us on Facebook or YouTube. If you're new here or seeing one of our videos for the first time, on behalf of all of us here at Wait Park Church, thank you so much for being here with us. Well, you may have seen trending on Facebook. You probably haven't because you're not on Facebook. Can we get Corey a mic? You might have seen trending on Facebook people sharing their unpopular opinions. And in a society where oftentimes it feels like people are shamed for their controversial ideas, I think people have enjoyed the opportunity to say, to just to be authentic and say, man, this is how I feel about this, and to share those unpopular opinions. I think it's a little bit refreshing. So, we asked our Facebook community to give us some of their unpopular opinions, so I thought I'd share them with you. I asked Pastor Corey to come and let us know his thoughts. By the way, if you're on Facebook or YouTube right now, use the chat, tell us some of your unpopular opinions. We'd love to hear from you, and we might even show a few of them to Corey and get his thoughts. Really excited about this, by the way, too. Me too. I'm really good working on the fly. <laughs> All right. So here we go. Uh, sitting down in the shower is better than standing up. That's terrible. No. No? No. No, you don't agree I, with that? <laughs> so there, so there, might be oper- there, there might be times when you need to, you know, like if you uh, have a broken leg or something and you need right. to have a shower stool in but there, otherwise, so that's fine. But no, not otherwise. I've always been more of a bath person, so I feel like, feel like I, <laughs> I can There's picture. an unpopular opinion right there. <laughs> so, all right, here's number two. All right. Uh, It's annoying when people say, bless you, after you sneeze, and they should mind their own business. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's kind of an odd thing, I guess, but I don't, I don't know, I don't know how... You're not annoyed by it? Not, not too much. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I sneeze like six times in a row, and they say it every time... Okay, there is a a way to be obnoxious about it. I think so, yeah. Okay. Uh, there's no reason to send cards in 2020. It's a waste of trees. Oh, I, I disagree. We have some environmentalist concerns here. Right. Well, I understand that. I, I get that. I get that. But I also, uh, you know, there's nothing like getting mail from someone who like handwrites a card. And yeah, it's, uh, you, you have to put in the work. It's, it's easy care. to get. Yeah. Like if you doing like an e-card or something on your bir- on, on your birthday, yeah. that seems to me like a last minute thing. If you have to send something, then you have to think a couple of days ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that shows that someone actually That's put true. some thought That's into true. it rather than, oh, I forgot about your birthday. I, I saw, saw it on, on Facebook. Facebook. And, uh, and <laughs> I saw it I on Facebook. And know. so now last minute, I got to figure out some right. way to, to show that I'm not as thoughtless as I really uh-huh. am. Plus, what about the Amish? Right. Exactly. Okay. All Probably right. not on Facebook. So, Staying friends with... See, I love this one because I'm excited to see what Anne has to say about it at home. Staying friends with your exes is fine and healthy. I suppose (laughs) it depends on the ex. Okay. I I don't know. All right. Getting presents is more stressful than it's worth. I think giving presence is more stressful because <laughs> I just I, I'm, I'm a terrible gift giver okay like I just I can't so you'd I, rather not yeah Christmas it it's why my wife and I we just have stopped giving gifts for birthdays and Christmas because we just we're neither of us are very creative now some people you're poor kids man 
Well, we we could give them to them, yeah, because okay. okay. they care. But but we don't really care, and and you know we oh you have, don't give them to each other. We don't give them to each other. Gotcha. Yeah, we have you know we have what we need. So yeah, I don't know. This one came from uh, somebody in Minneapolis, and uh, I really like it. Those little library things in people's front yards kind of bug me. Okay. Why? I don't know. There, there's no reason on there. No. All right. Well, I don't. I don't know what to say about that. They don't that. bug you. You're not. Bo- you're not bothered by people's little free libraries. No, no. But but if we find if we go through the neighborhood and we see a bunch of them have been knocked over with a baseball mm-hmm. bat, we will we'll know. know. We'll who trace did it, it back. Mm-hmm. Yep. You'd be surprised at who said that. Mushrooms taste like dirt flavored rubber discs. Mm-hmm. Not at all. Not. At all. I mean. A little bit of dirt, but it... And it, a little bit you know, of some rubber. Dirt, some dirt tastes good. You can see where they're coming from. Well, the consistency, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, but mushrooms are good. No, they're tasty yeah. dirt-flavored rubber discs. Sure. Tasty dirt. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Ooh, we got some on, okay. on the interwebs here. Goodnight Moon is a terrible children's book. Okay. Yeah. Ooh, we, we have some... What is the, what the is audience the one, is not happy um, with that. The, no, the, what's worse than that is, um, I love you forever... I'll like you for always. That one, that is a creepy children's book. I love you forever. Yeah. Do you know, a, do you know the one I'm talking about? Story to it. There is. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to hear it. No, you don't. Because I would much rather be cynical. Here's about another it. one. All right. I think fruits are a no need. Oh, for a sweet dip. For a, uh, see, that's John Kaloff, no and he need. feels like oh. we've talked about it before. Like you shouldn't have to have a sugary dip for fruit. Oh, because fruit is it's some, naturally sugary enough. It feels like that's something that enough, Americans yeah. do and they shouldn't do. Sure, sure. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I don't know if we have any more. Ooh. Cold coffee is better than hot no, coffee. No, disagree. Disagree. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what more to say about that. That's fine. I think it depends I'm not on a the big, coffee. I'm not a big cold coffee You're drinker not, anyway. Can, no. Elf is an overrated movie. No, not at all. No. I like Elf it. Elf is a, the best. It's good. Yeah. Elf is the best. So that is an unpopular right. opinion, <laughs> apparently. All right. All right. All right. Uh, that might be it. We'll see if more come in, but, uh, and I don't know what we'll do with them, depending on when they come. But Corey, is there an opinion that you hold that is unpopular? Oh, okay. Um, I, I, I was trying to think about this. There, there are probably some. Yeah, you probably. wanted me to talk about my grilled cheese I choices, did. but I, that's not really an unpopular opinion. It is. That's it's just it's a taste widely that... unpopular. Go All right. ahead and say it. All right. So I like my grilled cheese with grape jelly and ketchup. No, come on. Unpopular. <laughs> have, have you ever tried it? You don't have that's to try a... it in order for it to be unpopular. <laughs> I mean, what's more all-American than grilled cheese, and grape cheese. jelly, and ketchup? All what's more all-American? Yeah. Just a hot dog. <laughs> with ketchup with, and grape with jelly. With mustard. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. only thing. I think the hot dog fanatics won't let you put ketchup okay, on. Okay, this, this one will be a little bit... Um, oh, you have another one. Uh, yeah, I've got a couple more. Oh. Yeah, because you... you told me that this was coming, so I thought about it. Yeah, I got nothing but time. All right, so my my opinion has actually changed on this um, over the last few years. Um, If someone were to ask me dogs or cats, I would say no. Okay. (laughs) Your unpopular opinion is you don't like pets. What about hamsters? Pets, no. Uh, And and that came from having dogs. Right. And I'm just like, why go to the trouble? Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't see the point. I, years ago, I would have said dogs, but 
No, uh, it just it's too much work. We did have someone on Facebook that said no dogs because carrying around dog poop is weird, and oh, you, I get you that. don't want to leave it in someone's yard. So just no dogs. Right, and and also if uh, if aliens came down to Earth and saw people out walking their dogs, they would they and and they asked, all right, who's in charge here? Yeah. Right. Well, you don't you don't like dogs because of the potential perspective of a visitor alien. No, no, I don't oh, like okay. dogs because of the per- <laughs> well, partially because you have to tend more to the dogs than you do to guests when they knock on your door. Oh yeah, that's part of it. They're high maintenance. They're very high they, maintenance. If you have a bad and, dog, it's not great for hospitality. And if you want to go on vacation or if you want to go somewhere, you have yeah. to figure out what to do with them. Right. And, you know. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Last. Last right. unpopular opinion. Those are good. All right. I don't get the point of musicals. I think musicals are weird. Musicals. Okay. Because I mean, wow. I mean, think about it. Okay? I don't so people like are musicals, like but dialoguing. I feel like I get the point of musicals. I don't. I mean, I just think it's weird that some there are people are in the middle of a dialogue and someone starts breaking into song. You <laughs> like, think what's the, that it should be one long song? Goodbye. No, thing. I think you songs should be long. songs and movies should be movies. Oh, okay. And I especially don't like like uh, a really long music. I especially video. don't like musical endings to movies, like Footloose or what? What did we watch the other day? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't remember. Okay. Yeah, where where everybody Ruins, all yeah. of a sudden, all of a sudden, everybody in the everybody oh, that's like they, out they in they the break yeah in the park starts sing, doing this same dance. You know, yeah. like they all know. Like, how do they all know? You're the like, dance? that's not possible. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that's weird and yeah. silly. You gotta so. suspend. What's that called? Suspend reality. I don't know. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> suspend, Anyways. Yeah. All right. So. So there you go. There's those my... are unpopular opinions, and thank you for sharing them. Yeah, you got it. Yes. All awesome. Right. We're you done here. Share some popular opinions. Do I have? Or? Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? Well, how we'll transition. <laughs> All right. Watch this. Have you ever felt like you were alone in your beliefs? See how that worked? Yeah. Thank you. Sometimes it's fun, like sharing an unpopular opinion about a personal preference of yours. Other times, it can be scary. I remember being the only Christian in my philosophy class in community college, and the professor was antagonistic towards Christianity, saying that it was utter nonsense and that you'd have to be an idiot to believe in it. I was the only one who spoke up. Um, and to me, man, I, re- I remember thinking, it is impressive how this person cannot believe in God and be so angry at God at the same time. But um, man, from time to time, if it hasn't happened to you yet, it probably will at some point in your life where you will feel attacked or alone or abandoned. We're going to talk about what to do when that happens. In fact, there was a church father named Athanasius. He's from Egypt, Alexandria, Egypt, actually. And he was affectionately called Athanasius Contramundum, which means Athanasius against the world. And it was because at his, during his time in ministry, he was one of the only pre- people preaching the full deity of Christ. He was the, one of the only people, including church leadership, one of the only ones that was proclaiming uh, an orthodox view of the Trinity, Athanasius against the world. Can you imagine what it must have felt like to be a church leader and to feel like this doctrine is so important to you and yet here's everybody else and they're against you to the point where he was exiled several times. He had to leave because people were threatening his life several times. Athanasius against the world. There's another one, Martin Luther, of course, that's, uh, that we're aware of, who, when asked to recant his writings, the writings of his book, he once famously said, 
Here I stand, I can do no other. And then we have the example of Jesus Christ himself. When he was arrested, he found himself abandoned. We're told in Mark chapter 14, verse 50, then all his disciples deserted him and went away. Uh, It's fitting today that today is Palm Sunday, a day when massive crowds cheered for Jesus and called him Messiah. And less than a week later, those same crowds will shout, crucify him, crucify him. So Paul too, he recounts a time when he was alone. We read about it in 2 Timothy verses 4, Sorry, chapter 4, verses 6 to 18. I'm just going gonna, gonna to reread it again. I know we heard it once before. I'll just read a smaller passage. Here's what it says. At my defense, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we study the text today, I want to share with you four ways to stay the course when others don't. And the first one is this, want what's best for them. Man, Paul's first response when he thinks of how the church wasn't there for him in his time of need is this. May it not be held against them. Paul is genuinely desiring their good. This isn't our our modern day version of, man, I hope that's worth it to you. Right? It's not our modern day version of, I hope you're happy with that decision. This is heartfelt. And it comes from, I think it comes from a place that's very vulnerable for Paul. He gets this example. I don't think it's too much of a leap to say this. He gets his example by looking back on his lineage. Because before Paul's conversion, he once oversaw the stoning of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And Paul, as Stephen was being stoned, would have heard very clearly Stephen praying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Paul heard that prayer and now it's Paul's turn to return the favor, to carry on that legacy that was left to him. Um, So similarly, Paul offers up this remarkably similar prayer. May it not be held against them. And of course, they both learned it from Jesus, right? When dying on the cross, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, there's a theological question there of importance, I think. Like, does that work? Right? Like, can God forgive someone else? Not because they've asked for forgiveness, but because we've asked for them to be forgiven. I think those rules are different for Jesus. But how about this idea of may it not be held against them? Can we pray that prayer? Does that work? Does God not hold something against somebody because we've asked him not to? The truth is, I don't know. And it would probably take hours to, to argue and research different viewpoints for, and we might not land at the same place. But one thing I do know is that a prayer like that, it might affect God, but it definitely affects us. When we genuinely pray for someone's well-being and for their relationship with God, it shapes our heart. It helps us to become more like Jesus, loving those who hurt us, 
those who betray us, those who leave us. And this is your spiritual lineage, the same that it was for Paul. Now we can look back on those that came before us and we can even adopt this language. What would it be like if when people heard us, we said, man, may it not be held against them. It became a part of Paul's language as he heard it from Stephen. And there's no reason that it can't become a part of ours. We are a people that pray and love and desire the good of those who do us wrong. Number two, look for the Messiah's donkey. So the Messiah's donkey is actually a Jewish idiom, meaning that God can use earthly, mundane things like a donkey, foolish things for his purpose, like a Messiah riding on a donkey. See, the, it was such a part of Jewish prophecy that the Messiah would ride on a donkey that it became an idiom for any time that God's purposes were delivered or rode on foolishness. And so, for example, uh, I think one of the ones that comes to mind right away is Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery. And then what happened? Well, Joseph ended up in Egypt where he was elevated to basically second in command right underneath Pharaoh. And as a result of this, he's able to procure food for his family, for Israel. So the nation of Israel is provided for by Joseph's brothers sinning and selling him into slavery and God uses that folly for his purposes. And the Jews would look at that and they would call that a Messiah's donkey. So I love that idea. I love that that's an expression. Um, The cross is another fitting example for this. So I mean, how, how beautiful that the Messiah rode on a donkey. And then there's this concept of a Messiah's donkey, this idiom that's being used. And then the cross is this picture of a Messiah's donkey where God, the Son, used the sinfulness of man to offer himself as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. Right? Satan looks on and we can imagine Satan in his in his foolishness celebrating Christ's death on the cross, not realizing that he's celebrating his own defeat. The crucifixion is a kind of Messiah's donkey. It's foolishness and sin that carries God's purposes forward. So the question, when we are abandoned, when we're attacked, when we're alone, when we're holding on to our faith and it feels like no one else is, the question for us is, God, how are you wanting to use this? Where's the Messiah's donkey in the midst of this? And when I was in community college in my philosophy class, I prayed every day before class and and said, God, give me whatever words you would have me speak. Use this time for your purposes. Not sure what you're doing here, but if I can be of service to you, help me. Look what Paul says, right, in verse 17. If you have your Bibles open, if not, I'll read it to you. It says, But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. When no one else is there to depend on, Paul is forced to lean on Jesus for strength and power, for strength and support, rather. We don't know this for sure, but we can imagine if Paul had a large number of Christians back him, if he had a large number of people in his corner going to bat for him, would he have been less aware of Christ's presence and Christ's strength? Probably, right? 
But now, when it's the only source for his strength, it's the only source for his support and comfort, it's amplified. He knows he needs to depend on Jesus, and so he's able to say, yeah, Jesus was present. Yeah, Jesus gave me strength. Not only does Paul see the presence of God in it, but he also sees the purpose of God in it, right? That through Paul, the message of God, the gospel, would be fully proclaimed. That Paul, in his trials, he he realizes, man, I have a captive audience, and I'm able to reach people that might not ever hear the gospel if it weren't for me being in these trials right now, reaching government officials um, that may have never had a chance to hear about Jesus if it weren't for these trials. Paul sees the Messiah's donkey. He sees how the foolishness of man is moving forward God's purposes. So several of of Paul's letters, a significant portion of the New Testament, were written while Paul was in prison. And is it too much to to maybe guess at this idea? Would Paul have found time to write if it wasn't for his imprisonment? And, And we can imagine that Paul never, never had any idea of how significant, just how many people would end up reading these letters. Maybe he had a glimpse of it, but I don't think he would have had the foresight to know all that his letters would do. And I think similarly, there will be times when we're looking for the Messiah's donkey, when we're saying, God, what are you doing in this? How is your purpose moving forward? And maybe we'll be shown a glimpse of it. We won't get the whole picture. We won't get the entire impact of what we're doing or why we're going through it. But maybe we'll be given a glimpse. When you find yourself alone, attacked or abandoned, ask, God, how are you using this? Here's the third thing. Live through it to look back on it. Paul says, and I was delivered from the lion's mouth. Now, commentators don't know if he's talking about actual lions that, that used to, they used to use them to kind of entertain and others while they killed Christians and ate them. Or maybe he's referring to Nero, a persecuting emperor uh, who persecuted Christians at the time. But here's what I want you to remember. If you, in the same instance, tried to blend in, You'll never see how God wanted to use that time. Live through it faithfully in order to look back on it. Muster your grit. Stand your ground. Dig your heels in. When the dust settles, you'll see what God was up to. You know, I think the reason we often don't see God move in powerful ways, or maybe you don't personally have these stories of God moving in powerful ways, is because we avoid situations where we feel powerless. If we never feel powerless, then it always means that we're always in a position where we can do things out of our own strength. Live through it in such a way, with such a faith, that you'll be proud enough to look back on it and you'll be able to see how God moved. How many Christians have forfeited faith-building experiences with God simply because they were too afraid to go where God was leading them? And live through it faithfully so that you can look back on it. And here's the last one, worship. It might seem like a simple concept, but to me it's, it's the biggest idea here. Paul writes, to him be glory forever and ever. As Paul writes this, he's not even at the end of his letter yet, and all of a sudden he just spontaneously kind of offers this sentence of praise. 
Maybe he's thinking about those past times, or maybe he even has present dangers in mind, but his writing overflows into this spontaneous praise. Paul worships in part because he's, he's done those, those last three things, right? He's wanted what's best for those who abandoned him. He's looked for the Messiah's donkey. He's seen God's presence and his purpose in the midst of his situation. And he's lived through it so that he can look back on it. And all of this causes him to worship. But let me offer you some advice here. And the advice is worship when you're in the thick of it, not just when you're past it. I think chances are when you're alone or attacked or abandoned over your faith, you're going to find yourself doubting, right? I think subconsciously that's going to happen. And the doubt won't be purely intellectual, which is a bad thing because we're emotional creatures. We're driven by our emotions. We talk about that a lot here. And I think you'll realize that oh man, if I, if I didn't believe right now, if I chose not to believe or chose to believe something different, then maybe I'd have more company in this season of my life. If I chose not to believe, then, then maybe life would be easier in some ways, in the ways that I'm currently thinking about at least. And I think that maybe we start to kind of slowly back away from the faith because subconsciously, Man, it would be easier if we didn't. And what I'm saying is worship instead. When you're in the thick of it, worship. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't doubt God, that you should only worship him instead. What I'm saying is doubt while you worship. Doubt and worship. When the disciples saw Jesus after the resurrection, in, uh, right before the Great Commission, we're told, when they saw him, they worshiped him but some doubted. It comes from Matthew 28, verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now notice it doesn't say some worshipped and some doubted. It doesn't say that it was one or the other. It says they worshipped and some of them doubted. They worshipped while they doubted. Many people fall into this trap of thinking that I need to give up my faith and then observe it from outside of it in order to to fairly assess it. But here's why that doesn't work with the life of faith. See, God is known through what we call revelation. This idea that God reveals himself to us. Since God is both personal, not, not impersonal, he's not a force, and because he's spiritual, not physical, it means that he reveals himself to us rather than being discovered by us. And so worship helps us to open ourselves up, to give us eyes that see, to, to open our heart up and be receptive to God so that we can see and feel and experience him. And you might say, you know, well, that's, that's convenient, right? Isn't that, isn't that kind of circular reasoning? Pursue truth from a standpoint of belief and you'll believe that God exists. And I think the thing is, I think we tend to get that wrong. There is such a thing as a virtuous circle and there is such a thing as a vicious circle. So just because something is internally consistent doesn't mean that it's wrong. In fact, sometimes it's evidence to the contrary. The church fathers used to say that the best way to know God is through devotion. And so as a result, they also believed that the best theologians were those who lived a holy life 
and were passionate about God. I love those for being marks of a theologian. It wasn't, here are the best educated people. It was, here are people that have real life change, that have really been changed by the Spirit. And so we can trust, we know that the Spirit indwells in them. And, and God is best known through devotion. So people who live a holy life and are zealous about God and passionate about Him, they love God with all their heart. Those are most qualified to be theologians. God is best known through devotion. That's what God means when he says, Deuteronomy 4, verse 29, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart and with all your soul. Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me and seek those who find, and, and those who seek me, find me. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Acts 17, 27, God did this so they would seek him perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Man, and I say that to say that asking questions about your faith does not have to be an act of disobedience or, or an act of defiance. I think it's an act of worship, actually. So Jesus tells us, he invites us, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does it mean to love God with our whole mind, if we're not willing to ask questions or wrestle through doubts, right? Asking courageous questions about God is an act of worship. Wanting to know more of God is an act of worship. Wanting more faith is an act of worship. I mean, who has, who has the bigger concept of God? Who has, who has the bigger faith? The person that goes, I don't know if I want to ask that question. That question scares me. I don't know if I can do that. I'm not sure what would happen to my faith. Would it crumble if I asked that? So I'm just going to ignore that. Who has the bigger faith? The person that says, yeah, God, that makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not sure what the answer is, but I trust that you and I can find out together. Which one is God more likely to be insulted by? The person who's not willing to ask the question or the person that says, God, you're big enough. I can ask this question. I can trust that you have, you have an answer to this. Once when asked why God needs us to pray, if he already knows what we're going to ask for, this, uh, this theologian, his name is P.T. Forsyth, he makes this astute observation, and he says, Love loves to be told what it knows already. It longs to be, or it, it loves to be asked for what it longs to give. Man, love loves to be told what it knows already. It, it loves to be asked for what it longs to give. God loves to be asked for what he longs to give. He wants to give more of himself. Pursue God from a relationship with God and he will give you more and more and more of himself. He loves to be asked for what he longs to give. And so the next time, that you find yourself alone, abandoned, or attacked, because you will. I want you to remember those four things. Want what's best for those around you. Look for the Messiah's donkey, right? See God's purposes in the midst of it. Live through it faithfully in order to look back on it. And last of all, worship. Have a, an attitude and a perspective of receptivity to God. 
so that your faith can be increased. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for, uh, thank you for Paul's letter to Timothy. God, thank you for the insights that Paul has for Timothy and these, these three major themes that we've talked about for these past three weeks. And God, I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts and our minds as we, as we hear this. And God, even, even this week as we carry your word with us and think about 2 Timothy verse, chapter 4. God, I pray that you would bless us. That your spirit would be at work with us. And Lord, help us. Maybe we're not in a season right now where we're alone or where we're feeling attacked or abandoned, but we will. And so when that time comes, God, I pray that even now we would do that foundational work of committing to you. That yes, Lord, we're going to want what's best for others. God, we are going to adopt that language. May it not be held against them. We're going to look for the Messiah's donkey. We're going to ask God, where are you moving? What's your purpose? I'm going through this. Show me where you are in the midst of it. I want to do what you would have me do. Man, we're going to, we're going to choose to live through it faithfully so that we can look back on it and see just how you moved. And Lord, we're going to worship you. We're going to worship our hearts out. Maybe we'll doubt but we'll worship you while we do. We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.